Let's rock. First Corinthians 15, verse 32 through 34. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. Ah, it's so good to be back with you. We had a little staff retreat last week, and so annually it's like one Tuesday that I, um, that I miss. But it's also good for the staff that we're together. I appreciate you being um, kind as Jed came. Jed's a great guy, pastor up in, uh, up in Tennessee, and so we're glad to have Jed. We're glad Jed's not here tonight. I'm just kidding. I mean, I mean that like in like, because like, I'm glad to be here. That's what I mean. Like, I like Jed. Um, I'm glad he was here. Should we start that over? Joel, come back and <laughs> here's uh, tonight's tonight's like a like a family conversation. This is a, a famous passage. It's not the happiest passage in the Bible. Um, it's it's a hard passage, but it's like a good like family conversation passage. I mean, it's it's old as dirt. The idea that bad company corrupts good morals. And, and at the same time, if you're like me, you realize all the time you've been influenced and you, you didn't even know you got influenced. And so it is, it is good that we pause and that we, we look at this in the middle of our, our series on discerning the will of God. And tonight, discerning the will of God in community. And the community that influences us is so important. We need lots of help making decisions. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Praise God. You have the Bible that the Holy Spirit illuminates. Praise the Lord. You've got a relationship with Jesus and God the Father. I mean, the triune God is, is listening to you all the time. It's, it's beautiful. And yet God has set it up. Hear me on this. God has set it up that no person is an island. We need each other. We need help walking through this life. I mean, think about it. Even T-Swift. I don't know what era she pinned this, but T-Swift said, when I was a little girl, I used to read fairy tales. And in fairy tales, you meet Prince Charming. And he's everything you ever wanted. In fairy tales, the bad guy is very easy to spot. The bad guy is always wearing a black cape, so you know who he is. And then you grow up. And you realize that Prince Charming is not as easy to find as you thought. And you realize the bad guy is not wearing a black cape. And he's not easy to spot. And he's really funny. And he makes you laugh. And he has perfect hair. We need help. We need help figuring out how do we navigate this world. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would illuminate your word tonight. That we'd have a good time looking at it that we would have a good time afterwards in community with one another. But Lord, that you would do work in our lives, Lord. We, we show up tonight begging to hear from you. And so Lord, would you, would you surprise us even as we hear from you tonight? Would you move in this place? And we lift this up in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. 
So back to the text. What do you gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. Everybody, like I said, is looking for advice, and people are the easiest way to get advice. The big questions, two big questions for you is who are your people and how well do you take advice? Maybe phrased differently is are you teachable and who's your teacher? The people that Paul is addressing in this book, the church in Corinth, they're super relatable to people who live in a big urban city like Atlanta. The church in Corinth was known as a town of decadence. It was a town of people who lived on the upper end of things. Um, it was a town of the newest and latest technology. It was a place where Things like running water was coming into existence um, and becoming commonplace. It was a very, very interesting place to live. It had all the modern amenities, which also meant that it had all the modern philosophies that go along with it. And so Paul is writing to a group of people not dissimilar to you and I who are getting inundated with advice on how they ought to live. And he's rebuking them to their shame because they have forsaken God-given advice and godly counsel, thinking that they could rise above that. So let's, let's take a look at the passage. I'll do a little, a little scribbling around here. It says, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? And so the first thing that, that Paul talks about here is, uh, if the dead are not raised. So he says, he says what do I gain what do I gain if the dead are not raised? And so he, he, he's going he's gonna to set up in verse 32 this little compare contrast. And the comparison contrast is one is going to be a person who is a follower of Christ. And so you, you, you think about the cross when you think about that. And so he's saying, look, if the dead are not raised, if the cross didn't really Fulfill, get fulfilled if Jesus stayed in the grave and he never rose again, then what's the point of my life? And the, the answer is easy. He says, if, if the point of my life is right now in vain, that there is no resurrection, there is no hope of life in Christ, there is no, there is no get saved, there is no, there is no transformation, there is no koinonia, the fellowship that we're promised in the, in the Holy Spirit. If all of those things are just a myth that we've made up, and he says this in this chapter, this is like the seminal chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, he says we're to be most pitied of all. You could do something else with your Tuesday night. And so he says, look, what do I gain if the dead are not raised? And then he transitions and he says, look, here's what, here's what ought to be the motto. If the dead are not raised, then we ought to live like this. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And so he comes back and he gives this, 
this real like, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a sad quote. It's a quote from, uh, from a Greek playwright. And, uh, and he, gives this, he gives this quote in here and he's just basically comparing the idea of the cross to self. And he says, here, here's the tension in all of life. The tension in all of life is if the cross is real, everything hinges on that. And it ought to affect our every decision and the people we get our advice from and how we conduct our lives and our business. And the Bible's full of that language. But if it's not, you should be just about you. You should just live with the idea of eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That sounds like 80% of college students. Like that's why people are like, let's not talk about college until we're engaged because I did some things. Like people, I mean, I did college ministry for 13 years. I heard some, I heard some stories and I just stopped myself from telling you one of them. I'm so proud. Um, and so anyway, it, look, but if, if the dead are raised, then, then we don't live with this do whatever we want because tomorrow we die. But this is the tension. And this, if I boil down every bit of advice you ever got, you could put it in one of these two camps. The advice is gonna either center on self, and I don't care what religion you put it in, what philosophy you put it in, the advice is either gonna center on self, or it's gonna center on the transcendent God who rose from the dead. And there is no middle ground. I don't know if you watch, um, if you, I'm sure you watch shows, but like I've been on an Apple TV kick. We don't have an Apple TV, but we have Apple TV subscription. But don't worry, Apple TV is soon to follow. Uh, <clears throat> maybe. But anyway, um, it is a great device. But on Apple TV, th there's a couple of really popular shows out right now. There's, there's Shrinking, and, uh, and then there's Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is what got me into the wormhole. Uh, of Apple TV. And so if you watch Shrinking or you watch Ted Lasso, if you watch an old show like Friends, uh, if you read business books, um, listen to political philosophers, um, when you watch the Met Gala, I came home from the elders meeting last night and Heather was blow drying her hair and she had her phone like here. And I said, what are you doing? And she was like, ta, 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 ta. I was like, oh, she said, the Met is on. And so like we're watching, so I'm like, well, let's just see what that. So this morning I go through and I look, cause I love, I kind of like, I kind of like the oddity of the Met. And so I don't fully support the Met. I understand it's decadence at its finest, but it is fascinating. So even, I mean, if you watch the Met Gala and you look at the way people dressed up, even Jared Leto is a cat. Um, although, although I will say it was extraordinary craftsmanship in that cat suit. Um, when, 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 you, when you do these things and you evaluate how the people in Shrinking get their advice and how the people in Ted Lasso come to their conclusions and why a lot of the people at the Met Gala do what they do or the political philosophers or the business books that you read, all these things, what you see is it all boils down to they have decided, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. They, they don't, they have either forgotten Jesus or they have never known Jesus. Let me give you a for instance. In, in the show Shrinking, everybody in that show is lonely 
And the show is filled with counselors who are trying to help people out of their loneliness. And the counselors might be the most lonely. And if you really stop and you look, the the advice that they give, it's all normal advice. It's all stuff like use protection when you have sex. It's okay to be sad. Marriage is good as long as it's good. You know, don't be in abusive relationships. Like they give like very, very normal secular advice. But if you really, really examine all of the plot line, all of the script that the writers have written, what you see undergirds the whole thing is exactly what Paul talks about, the mindset of eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This is all there is. And so all their counsel, all their friends, all their relationships are giving advice that coincides with that baseline. And then Paul, he goes on here, and he says in verse 33, he says, listen, he says, do not be deceived And I just want to pause right here for just a minute. We don't, do not be deceived. You you can't outrun your influences. This is what he's telling the church in Corinth. You can't outrun your influences. The music you listen to most matters. The TV shows you watch most matter. The people you call and text most matter. You cannot outrun your influences. And he's warning the people, don't be deceived. You're not an exception to this rule and neither is any other human. And he goes on and he gives this incredible, incredible line. And the line is that, Bad company ruins good morals, which is a, a quote from uh, a Greek poet, uh, Menander. And, uh, and, and, and so I, I decided, look, this is a secular quote that Paul uses to a secular people, which is why I felt liberty to use a Taylor Swift quote at the beginning of the sermon. Paul did it in the Bible. Um, and so this is a secular quote that Paul uses, and it becomes scripture. He does that in the book of Acts as well. Uh, and so what he's saying here is, he says, He's basically giving a Greek word play. And so I went and I looked this up. And what this means, bad company corrupts good morals, is that a corrupt group of people, when invited into your home, will wreck where you live. In Greek, not in English, bad company corrupts good morals is a word picture. And the picture is a home. And outside of the home is a whole group of people that don't mean you or your home well, but you invite them in anyway. And the inevitable happens. Your home is worse when they leave than before they came in. And so Paul is saying here, don't be deceived. You're no exception to this rule. Your influences will change your home. That's your heart, your life, your thinking. They will change you. You cannot escape this. I remember as, as, a, as a teenager, 
I was, I had, uh, I had just come to faith in the Lord, and uh, and I started thinking that my girlfriend and I, we were the exception to the rule for uh, Christian morality. I was like, other people can't do what we do because they can't handle it. Now, I'm, I know that like I'm in my head a lot, and the more you get to know me, the more you'll be like, hey, hey, like. Um, like you'll you'll be like come back here, and so that was a moment where like I really got in my head and I really started to justify and I was like, for other people I get it like they it will hurt them in the future, it will hurt their future spouse, it'll hurt all these things, it'll hurt their psyche, um, you know it it'll hurt them but not me. And I had a bunch of friends who were all hooking up with each other and doing all kinds of stuff. And it was like the regular thing to do every weekend. And they were in my ear. And I invited their lifestyle, their thinking, their words into my mind. And I transferred it really without even realizing it to this relationship. And it gave me permission to sin. And it also gave me permission to have heartbreak and regret to this day. I was deceived. I didn't realize that a corrupt group of people when invited into my home would wreck where I lived. And so who, who is this bad company that Paul talks about? This, this bad company is, uh, is anyone who, uh, if, I'll just tell you what's on the screen here. If, you're, if your major influences have forgotten or never known the gospel in their decision-making, so will you. And if those people are your major influences, people that have never known or forgotten the gospel, those are bad company. So if your boss is not following the Lord and you get all of your major advice from your boss, your life will be affected in the negative. There is an underlying call here to have a community around you that will speak God's honest and loving truth to you. Look, let's just just make this super, super practical. I hear about Christians taking, some of you, this may sound antiquated to some of you, Christians taking uh, weekend trips with their significant others and they stay in a room together because it's like more economic. That is not why you're staying in the room together. Um, but, then, but then like you pray about it and you're like, I feel good about it. And you ask a few other people and they tell you it's fine. That's bad company that you've asked. And it is corrupting your morals. If you're watching porn all the time and you're getting it, I don't, care, I don't even care if it's all the time. I'm not gonna give you any loopholes here. If you're, if you're watching porn and you're getting into your mind, that's what a guy likes, that's what a girl likes, that's what people do to each other. And, you're, and by the way, if you're not even thinking like, you know, like 70% of these people don't wanna be doing that and they're held against their will and they can't get out of that world, that's, that's abuse and rape and those things. And if you're getting pleasure from that, like that, whether you know it or not, that is what's happening. And then you decide, but I can make regular decisions with other humans that are healthy and whole. That online community is ruining you. 
If an Instagram follower is the person that I get like my summer swimsuit ideas from and, uh, and they are like not of the Lord, well, like you're probably gonna show more than you should. And you're probably not gonna realize the value and worth because that person is not gonna tell you the value and worth that you have and you're more than just something to look at. It's, it's, you're influenced by the words you say, the looks you give by these people, the clothes you wear, the places you will or won't be seen. All these have been influenced by those all of these things that, have, that you've been influenced by, you gotta ask who influenced them. These are your teachers. And I promise you, hear me on this, I promise you, you are becoming like your teachers. 1 Corinthians 15, 32 through 34 says it. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You will become like the community you listen to. There is zero chance of escaping that. And then he gets into verse 34. And in verse 34, Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the love of God the Father and the grace of Jesus Christ, says, wake up, wake up. He says, you're in a drunken stupor. And then he challenges everybody and he says, do not go on sinning. Don't live with these other influences in your life. Don't let this be your community that helps you decide how you're gonna live. Don't do it. And he, then he says, why? And he says, there's a real good reason for all this and it's bigger than you. He says, because some have no knowledge of God. What Paul is saying here is that your, your decisions and the community that surrounds you that influences those decisions creates echoes and ripples in ways you may never know. Your decisions, I'll just say it real simple, your decisions are either a witness for the power of, the Christ, of Christ or a witness against the power of Christ. Many of you are familiar with, who's, who's read a, Mal, a Malcolm Gladwell book or listened to like revisionist history? Anybody? Okay. Who's heard of the 10,000 hour rule? Like you're an expert if you do something for 10,000 hours. Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell, he, um, what an interesting guy. He wrote Outliers. It's where um, they talk about the rule of 10,000 hours. And like they, the, it was a study done a while back and the study was on chess players. And like, what does it take to be an expert chess player? And in the book, he talks about how no one's born a chess player, but what they, no, no one's born an expert. Some people are born with talent to play chess, but it takes between 10,000 and 50,000 hours of chess before you become a master. And so he came up, he really made popular the 10,000 hour rule, 10,000 hours of doing something and you will, you'll become an expert, a master at that thing. But I was reading an article, he, he published something in Relevant Magazine in 2022 about how he was rediscovering his Christian faith. And I was like, how did Malcolm Gladwell start to rediscover his Christian faith? So I don't know where he is. I'm not calling Malcolm Gladwell a, a saint. I have no idea. I hope that he loves Jesus and he's following him. But this is what he said in the article. He said, there were two groups of people and their decisions 
that were influenced by Christian community that caused him to wake up to the gospel. And so hear me on this. This is very, very important. The first was a couple in Canada. He goes to this couple whose daughter, he's writing for the New Yorker. He goes up to Canada because this couple's daughter was kidnapped and murdered. And it was a terrible, terrible story. They had found her body, but they had not yet found the person who did it. And he's sitting in the garden with the mom of the lady. And the mom says something so, so, I think the mom was just talking, but what she said hit him so hard, it would ultimately change his life. And the mom said, we have not yet forgiven him. I can't say that we have yet. But everyone's done something as bad as him or at least thought of doing something as bad as him. So how could I not forgive him? And he was, he's, you know, he's a salty writer. He's internationally known and he's, he's, listened, he's heard lots and lots of stories. But for some reason, when he heard the mom talk about forgiveness, what he heard was the cross in her decision-making. And he was so used to the Ted Lassos and the friends and the, all the other things that are out there that are self, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And what he heard from her was there's a resurrection. And that woman did not come to that conclusion all by herself. She had been influenced by Christian community to come to that place of wanting to and pursuing forgiving the man that had killed her daughter. And then Gladwell, um, he goes to a village in Paris, Les Chambon, and that's where the Huguenots were. And the Huguenots hid the, the, the Jews and ignored the Nazis, and a lot of them lost their lives for it. And it was between these two moments of, of hearing this lady talk about forgiveness and then going to this historical place and seeing these people who, who martyred themselves for the sake of others and Gladwell sitting in both spots saying, if I was the mom, I wouldn't forgive. And if I was the Huguenots, I wouldn't have hid. What do these people have that I don't? The Huguenots came together in community and they decided in community, this is the way of Christ. Let's live it and hide these people. That mom had come together with her faith community and decided before the event ever happened that everyone deserves forgiveness. There's something so powerful about the influences in your life. You can't outrun them. You will become like your teachers. Do you see that that's what's being said in this verse. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right. Do not go on sinning. Why? Because some have no knowledge of God. If your sphere is telling you, eat and drink for tomorrow we die, and that's how you're living, you are sending an echo, a ripple, a wave throughout all the people around you that the cross doesn't matter But if your people and your influencers are telling you the cross is all that matters, 
And so we don't do that in a relationship. We don't do this. We do do this. We do this. And you have a different way of living and you're making different decisions. You have woken up. Do you see this? You have woken up from the drunken stupor that the rest of the world is in. And, and praise God, because you didn't do that on your own. The Holy Spirit did that, and you have community that is doing that, that is helping you. You have the word that is undergirding all of it. Uh, I didn't ask if I could say her name, um, but there's a girl who's here. Is she, can I say your name? Uh, is, that, is that Okay. Okay, great. Sarah Carroll. Okay, Sarah Carroll. The story just wouldn't be as good if I couldn't say her name. Sarah Carroll stood right over here um, Sunday night, held the towel for her brother Carl who got baptized. Um, It was so sweet to see um, big sister, little brother, although height and everything else, like it's opposite. But uh, big sister, little brother, she was helping him as he got baptized. It was so sweet to hear his testimony and to see the two of them together. Um, Sarah Carroll's been growing in her faith a ton, and, and this Christian community has been amazing to be a part of, of, of helping be the voice of the Lord to her and, and her to you and, and us to each other. And I'll just tell you how it played out. She went to a financial advisor, and the financial advisor, we talked about this a few Tuesday nights ago, the financial advisor looked at her, her money and all her stuff and said, you need to tithe less. He said, you got to build, you got to tithe less and, and build your savings. And then later you can tithe more, but you got to build your personal wealth. My friends, that is eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That is living for retirement and not for the Lord. And don't kid yourself. If you can't tithe with what you make now, you can't tithe yourself with what you make when you're 50 or 60. And so Sarah Carroll was like, I guess that's the move. Why? Because the financial advisor was Christian. She doesn't quite feel right about that, goes to another one who is also Christian, and both give the same advice. But praise God that Sarah Carroll and a bunch of you do not make decisions in isolation. So she bounced the idea off of a couple of girls in her small group, And one of the girls, because it's Christian community, and because we don't live with eat and drink for for tomorrow we die, but because we live knowing that there are people who do not have a knowledge of God and my decisions directly help them know the Lord, spoke into her life and said, hey, actually, let's look at the scriptures together. And the scriptures are are pretty clear. I mean, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, uh, I mean, he was so clear. He said, don't hide up for yourselves, don't lay up for yourself treasures uh, on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourselves uh, treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. And then Jesus went on and said something so interesting. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you want your heart to be troubled, put it in your money. That stuff's fickle. No matter how much you love it, it will never love you back. And that, to me, friends, that is the power. 
And the beauty of Christian decision-making, it's not so that the church can buy another TV. We do break a lot of TVs. It's not so that the church can buy another TV. Um, that, that's not the deal. The deal is the, the Lord is protecting our hearts when our treasure is not in our things. There's this great story, and, and I, I, I won't go into the whole, the whole thing, but um, if you want to just turn your Bible, you should read this story later in its, in its entirety. But in, in 1 Kings chapter 12, there's this incredible story about, about two potential kings, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And, uh, and they're both descended from, from Solomon, um, or they're both in line to be king after Solomon. And Rehoboam just basically says, I'm going to be king, and I'm going to take over. And he's warned by a prophet what's going to happen to him. But I'll just read you this one little line. Look at, look at verse, uh, verse 6. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men. Because the people had said, hey, Solomon was hard on us. Can you please not be as hard on us? And we'll honor you. We'll serve you. And so he has a decision to make. We all have decisions to make. And he gathers a council of people around him, which the Bible tells us to do. So he has a decision, he gathers a council of people, and he gathers the old men, the ones who knew Solomon in his reign, knew the people, knew this new king. And he says, how would you advise me to answer the people? And they said, if you will be a servant to the people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. And then there's verse 8 but he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him. And he took counsel with the young man who had grown up with him and stood before him. And the rest of the story goes like this. The young man said, Rehoboam, it's time for you to get some power. You tell those people your dad was tough. Well, they don't know tough. You tell them that you're pinky is bigger than your dad's thigh, and you're going to crush him with the work you're going to give him. You make him fear you. And he does. And he loses the kingdom, and his life is a mess because he thought he was above the rules. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You will be like your teachers. Who are you listening to? You did the survey today and there were like 600 and something responses. And what you said in the survey is that your number one source of influence is your Christian friends. Let me just caution you. I love that. I was so pleased when that popped up. But if your Christian friends are like the Christian financial advisors, you need to just evaluate their Christianness. Not everybody under this roof has the cross in the forefront of all their thoughts. You said the Bible, and you said family, and then throw the dog a bone, church and sermons. We like that. Um, so you, uh, you, those, are all, those are all incredible. It's like 71% Christian friends, the Bible, and family. If you'll keep doing this, 
and living that the rest of your life? This city, mark my words, this city will reverberate with questions of what are all these young adults doing? They are so different. And what will happen is, it'll be the Daniel effect. It'll be the, it'll be the we're not gonna eat that food and we're gonna live a little bit different and just watch and observe. And when people see the fruit of the Lord in your life, you, you will be a gospel witness to them. But just be careful, little ears, what you hear. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Proverbs nineteen twenty and twenty one. Those are verses that you need to mark down because they talk about how victory comes in the counsel of of many, but also at the end of of that of that verse twenty one in chapter nineteen, it says that the Lord's plan will prevail. Whether you choose to listen to the godly counsel and follow the way of the Lord, it doesn't matter. He will prevail. Jeroboam had two choices, or Rehoboam had two choices. He could have told the story that he told of he failed, but God's plan prevailed, or he could have told a different story. I listened to the old men. And it wasn't what I wanted to do, but it's what was best and right. And as a result, I got to be a part of the Lord's plan prevailing, and I was on the right side of it. Let me give you two more thoughts, and then I'm going to wrap it up. And the two thoughts are on one slide. If you want to know, is this godly community or not? that's giving you advice, that's giving you encouragement, that's giving you the right feedback. Godly community gives advice that leads to reconciliation always and restoration always and the gospel always and the glory of God always and there's kindness always and there's goodness always even if they're telling you something you don't wanna hear. But worldly community gives advice that leads towards retaliation, self-aggrandizement or the lessening of the others, and your personal rights. And if you're filling your head and your life with worldly community, that is how you will live. And you will miss the blessing and the peace of the Lord. I'm so proud of so many of you because you are seeking, you're clawing after godly community. And I challenge you to keep doing that. There's music you're not listening to, there's stuff you're not doing, and it's not because it was just like the worst stuff in the world, but it was because you knew like I'm becoming that thing. And in that thing, there's just death. And when I'm around Christians and I'm in the word and I'm worshiping and I'm in church, there's life and I like that and that's what I want all the time. 
That's why we can't find enough small group leaders because you want to keep getting in these groups because you've realized I've heard the wisdom of the world and it led me down the dark road. But I've met the grace of Christ and I'm seeing the wisdom of God and the counsel of believers and there's life and freedom. So we never answer the question, what is good company? If bad company is the company that's corrupt before it comes into your home, you invite that company into your home and it ruins where you live, what is good company? Well, good company, that's the company that can come in no matter what the inside looks like. The best company there ever ever was, is, or will be is the company of Jesus himself. There's no one who's been better at walking into the messy life of a human's heart than him. He's not your aunt that comes over to your apartment and is like, oh my, so you don't clean. Like he's, he's not, that's not him. He's the best at knocking and saying, I'd like to come in. And when he comes in, he already knows what he's walking into. He knows every nook and cranny. He knows every hidden thing. He knows the stuff between the mattresses and in the closets. He knows the stuff that you forgot was even there. And he longs to come in and help do a work of restoration no matter how many poor decisions, no matter how many poor influences, no matter how many times you thought you could do it on your own. And so as we close the night out, I do want to read you this one story about the man himself who is the good company. Jesus entered Jericho, I'm in Luke 19, and he was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And so he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And Jesus was about to pass that way, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up into the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Today, I'm going to stay at your house. So Zacchaeus hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled and they said, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. Since he's also the son of Abraham, listen to verse 10. For the son of man, came to seek and save the lost. I don't know the condition of your house tonight. I don't know how many times you've let bad company in. I don't know how in shambles it is in there. But Zacchaeus, he knew he was a wreck. And when he sensed Jesus wanting to come to his house, he received him joyfully. 
And so if tonight is a night of repentance, of turning away and turning to Jesus, may you sense the calling of Christ and the joy that he wants to come in your life. And that's to you Christians too that have been influenced the wrong way and you have some wreckage in your life. He's not coming with the stern finger of anger and disapproval so much as he is coming with the heart of love to say, let me back in. You know I can do a better job with this place than you can. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Christian community, and I thank you how beautiful it is and wonderful it is and mysterious it is that you let us help influence each other for you, and our decisions for you are a witness to people. But Lord, it's so easy to be influenced by the world. It's so easy to to think that we are the exception. Lord, I thank you for Jesus who sees the Zacchaeus in all of us, who calls us down from the tree and says, I want to come to your house. Lord, would you let us open up every room in the house? Would we not be deceived that that one little room is is okay to keep the door shut? Lord, we want you even if you have to, pry your way in a little bit and do it with your love. It's in Jesus' name.